everyone. Welcome to The Green Room, where we speak to entrepreneurs and thought leaders in fintech across ASEAN. I'm your host, Amrita Veer. We are sponsored by the ASEAN Financial Innovation Network, or AFIN, Oxygen by Apex, and Open Banking Fintech Broncos. In this episode, I speak with Wendy Natriavi, co-founder and chief product officer of Awantunai, which provides supply chain and financial services to micro-merchants in Indonesia. Wendy is also the founder of WomenWorks, a connectivity marketplace that supports women's network building in Indonesia. Wendy was named a Forbes 30 under 30 for finance and venture capital in Asia in 2019 and spent her early career as a consultant at McKinsey. Awantunai was founded in October of 2017 and raised the most recent round in December of 2021. You can learn more about them by visiting awantunai.co.id. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello everyone, my name is Manish Devan. I am the Managing Director for AFIN, which is ASEAN Financial Innovation Network. We run the very popular apixplatform.com, which is a collaboration platform to help financial institutions work together with a very vibrant ecosystem of fintechs from across the world. We now operate what we call as Oxygen by Apex, which is essentially a knowledge sharing platform and we are very happy to collaborate with the Green Room. It's a great combination of what we do as a platform service provider and what the Green Room brings to you as a, a knowledge sharing base. You can find out more about Apex on apexplatform.com and you can find out more about Oxygen by logging into apexoxygen.com where you'll find a lot of great panels, keynotes, uh, masterclasses that we do from time to time and uh, look forward to seeing you there. Wendy, I am so excited that you're here today. Thank you for joining us. Likewise, likewise. A lot of mutual friends, I believe, right? We do. We do. We have a lot of uh, overlapping, overlapping spheres. So um, it's good to finally be connected. Um, I'm really excited you're here today. Wendy, why don't we start talking about you and your career? It's super impressive. So let's just maybe talk through all the impressive things. So first, you started your, your career at McKinsey. Uh-huh. And then you made the move to Gojek. And this was the early days of Gojek, I think back in 2016. And I think the jury was still out then if, you know, Gojek was going to, you know, what Gojek was going to do with the Indonesian market. And yeah. I guess from your perspective, like coming from consulting, and I also started my career in consulting, you know, which is a pretty, pretty safe path. How did you decide to like leave McKinsey and then go join Gojek? Oh, wow. Uh, straight to the bullet, right? <laughs> <laughs> No, so I was in McKinsey for two and a half years, and it was a it was a really great journey for me. But I I've always noticed that for me personally, I've always wanted to get in to the nitty gritty of actually seeing my recommendations in action, and and I've always been very passionate, I guess, about helping the underdogs. That's typically I think what sold me. So when Nadim kind of approached me uh, back then in 2015, I remembered it was still, you know, like a two-story house with only one working toilet. Oh I was probably the, I don't know, the the, the kind of like 15th employee uh, in management. It was um, uh, uh, it was really uh, daunting, as, as, as you correctly mentioned, right? But I 
kind of really were at the point where I felt where I felt like there was nothing to lose. And, you know, just really being able to help the the people that we were then working for. So, you know, we were I was basically leading the go life uh, with my friend and we were building three businesses for for Gojek within three months, which is which all focused on on demand misuse, on demand cleaning service, on demand beauty beauty service, which were all as a woman and as an Indonesian, I guess I were I was pretty much you know surrounded with. So it was really interesting, uh, Amrita, in that sense. And then you know for me it it hits home. So yeah, so then um, I decided to take the leap, and you know I thought all about the risks for sure. But then I guess the biggest risk for me was what if, you know, I ended up regretting not going there. So that's what actually, you know, kind of like pushed me to take the leap. Absolutely. I love that decision-making framework and I use it a lot myself, which is, you know, what would I regret the most? And it always seems that not making the leap um, to something exciting and new, that's the thing you regret the most. Yeah, correct. I never make decision based on fear is my number one principle. I guess after looking at it, looking at how you know um, it, it turns out um, pretty pretty nicely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. that that's really cool. And and you know you talked about Go Life a little bit. That's you know those services are are really interesting. How did that shape you know starting Go Life and leading and launching that and scaling that business unit? How did that shape the rest of your experience uh, at Gojek? And then of course your decision to eventually leave Gojek and start something yourself. <laughs> So, wow. So, you know, the, um, going from, from day one until, you know, uh, my last day and, and currently now at Awan Tunai, right? I guess one thing that I've really learned was to really not take anything for, for granted and meaning that, you know, enjoy the execution much more than the idea building phase. So, you know, in the early days of, 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 of Go Life, when we were building it, I still remembered, right? I, w- I would go to my first meeting. And that with, with, um, the, the, the board and the C levels. And I were actually, and I was actually presenting like a market estimation. <laughs> and it took me like, you know, one week to make, right? In which my, in which my, cons- in, in my consulting mindset was, okay, you know, this is actually already kind of like pretty impressive. Uh, uh it was very <laughs> fast, right? But then the, the first thing that they asked, okay, this is all good, but then where's the execution? And so that was like, <laughs> oh, okay, right? Like, you know, not to take anything for granted was, 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 was really spot on for me. And, and ever since then, you know, I guess I've always then driven myself to, to actually enjoy the execution and, and hence vice versa. I mean, it really is enjoyable to see your, 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 your product, uh, make impact or even the ones that you didn't, the bets that you took that didn't actually make it, you, you actually get something, you actually learn something out of it. So another, you know, bet, um, uh, uh that I took was obviously Awan Tunai. So after betting that, Hey, you know what? We can indeed actually transform the lives of, you know, these people and even make a business out of it. Because I think one of the main things, you know, that people basically cannot phantom was like how big the business can get by actually serving the underdogs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the underserved, you know, these were like motorcycle drivers that you see on the streets, right? Um, so you never really thought about how big that, that, that could be. And so I've always then approached my decision making, uh, quote unquote in bets. 
And so another bet that, that I made once, you know, Gojek was big enough. So there wasn't really, I felt there wasn't really any bigger bets to take mm-hmm. there. So then, you know, it was definitely about financial inclusion. I guess going, you know, one of my co-founders, Rama, he went after, he was also a, a, a Gojek alumni. And then he went to kind of like this place where um, there were a lot of farmers and, you know, everybody was saying that you cannot actually provide lending to farmers. They are, you know, they don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the credit history that they, they are basically unbanked. Right. And it wouldn't really made an impact anyway to their harvesting. But then, you know, he actually did give loan out some of his money and it actually turned out really well. Um, and Albedi was a very small sample, but I felt like there was a bigger bet uh, that, that we can take uh, behind that. And then, so, you know, we pivoted several times and yeah, right now we're actually in the FMCG space uh, for the uh, fintech side. And um, we like to call it embedded financing now because actually what we realize is that it's even larger than lending itself. You know, it's, it's really to facilitate commerce. So for me, that was, you know, that was really an exciting moment. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that Awantanay started with lending to farmers and sort of evolved. <laughs> yeah. So we actually, it was, right? So the pilot was like, quote unquote, farmers. Mm-hmm. The, the kind of formal pilot after we got our seed, oh, sorry, sorry, before we got our seed, was uh, to Bluebird drivers, mm-hmm. actually. And then after that, we pivoted to consumers. And then we finally found back our home in small business entrepreneurs, SMEs. So, so yeah, it, it, it's been a wild journey. But that's, I guess, and it's definitely a longer bet uh, to yeah. naturalize versus the Gojek space. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's also something that you learn. Like, not every bet will play out the way that, you know, you, you think it will. I just ask, I'm, I think that's so interesting, the, the pivots that y'all went through. I mean, I think it takes probably a lot of humility to say, this isn't working. We need to shift and do something else. What was that like? I mean, what was kind of the, was there a threshold or was there a point at which you were like, okay, we're not going to pursue this route. We're going to go down a different route. Like, how did you think about, you know, each of those pivots? Yes. It was very difficult, right? Because you know, at that time when we were in consumers, we were already spending, I think, around one and a half years and until two years working on the product. And basically what really, you know, made us be able to say, Hey, this it was, this is not it is because when we go back to our vision, which was to actually serve affordable uh, financing and affordable rates, therefore to our consumers or to the Indonesian population the more the and the more that we learned about the market the more that we realized that oh you know what it would have to go above like two until four percent it would have to be at seven percent at the very minimum um ten percent uh if you want to be you know kind of safe and as as you know a lot of the 192 plus fintechs in indonesia they are charging more than 10 percent per month so we feel like you know what it doesn't seem, you know, that we would be able to kind of still go back to the reason why we, 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 we made this in the first place. And every day and every day it was really getting harder to justify that for ourselves, even though at that time, you know what, we wouldn't be necessarily out of business, even if we were to pursue the consumer side, but we didn't feel excited. So I guess for me, there was two points. Number one was the vision. We weren't, I don't think 
at that time, neither me or my co-founders could really say that we would have stuck to our vision or we would have been able to deliver our vision if were we to go down this route. And then second was um, the excitement, the day to day that you feel, you know, so I guess that was it when we said, you know, let's pull the plug. Uh, let's give it our one last best shot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, interesting, right? Because we were actually, I, I think, you know, that's the moment where I realized that, you know, too much funding can also be a double edged sword. Right. We, it's not that we had too much funding, but we we're pretty well off to start, to start with. So then we had time to kind of like explore, which was, which was good on its own. But then at Sometimes you just kind of need to pull the plug and, and really say, hey, is this really going back to delivering what I wanted to do in the first place? Got it. Got it. Uh, I think that's a really, it's a really smart, smart way to, to think about it. You know, great that you guys have the funding and time and flexibility to be able to pivot. So now you're focused on micro SMEs. Can you tell us a little bit more about this customer base? What do they look like? What are their pain points? What other financial options do they have, if any? So... The, uh, so it's very um, unique, right? So I guess a lot of the FMCG, so, so we serve FMCG wholesalers and we also serve warungs or merchants. Mm -hmm. Now, if you talk about the FMCG space, it's a huge, right? So there's 6.5 million uh, merchants and, and 16,000 or not 30,000 um, wholesalers, according to the latest report. But between them, there's so many niche. There's, there's a lot of niche and and there are those who are actually quite well served, even though a lot of their businesses are still run manually. But there are also those that basically cannot get anywhere because they, number one, cannot get the financing that they need to grow or even, you know, be able to think about growing because they are still doing things very manually. And they are at a stage where they are just ripe enough but then no they're too still too small for the banks so what they would do if they would need to find money is that they would need to go into kind of loan sharks and and if you and i say loan sharks actually isn't it's not like as scary as, as as you think it would be it's actually you know your next their next door neighbor or their cousin back at somewhere right as a result right whatever whatever interest rate that is charged by these people, they wouldn't think twice because they've already trust them. So our customer base is, 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 is one that where trust really still plays an important part, where relationship building still plays an important part, but where, you know, they are still, and, and they're quite, I would say large by our standards, by the normal consumer standards. So they do like 10,000 until um, 30,000 worth of uh, dollars uh, in GMV per month. But they're still too small for the banks in that case for them to be able to get a loan. For them, their operating system, you know, we uh, a lot of small businesses, right, that are more, I would say, digitally savvy would use a lot of the POSs out there. You know, you like Mocha or even Kartuku or, or, or a lot of, you know, uh, even GoPay or, 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 or GrabPay, for example. But their SKUs are very unique there's like thousands of skus there and like the restaurants out there they actually have to procure before so there's a whole lot of inventory management warehouse management going on that we've actually then went into and tapped into as well for them to be able to grow so hopefully it, it kind of like gives a little bit of picture um, read of, of who our customers are yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I, I guess then the next question is, how is Awantunai solving a lot of these pain points? You know, what are the products that you're offering, you know, to, to these, I guess, wholesalers and merchants? Yes. 
so there's basically two ways, right? If you look at the market on how the landscape is played out. So the first one is to actually be kind of like the sole supplier and distributor. Uh, a lot of the startups are out there would actually be kind of replacing the wholesalers and uh, getting merchants to actually order from their platform. And for us, right, we like to think of ourselves as more like the Shopify Mm-hmm. For, for for this wholesalers and merchants. So we go end to end into their businesses in, uh, and we identify five critical key process. So acquiring customers, in which in this case for suppliers will be acquiring merchants and for merchants will be acquiring smaller merchants because we are actually SMBs. And then second would actually be the processing of the order. The third part will be the fulfillment of this order. The fourth will be the payment of this order. And the fifth will be like customer retention, which mm-hmm. actually goes, you know, very much unnoticed or, or they don't even have the time for a lot of these wholesalers and these merchants. Our services, right, tries to tap into and actually deliver technology-based products that are actually working for them. So for example, right, to just give like a very kind of like granular feature that, that a lot of uh, people that don't realize is that because, you know, these merchants and wholesalers rely so much on the inventory turnover, you know, right now it's, up, it's, it's, it's really surprising to me that a lot of the POSs or the systems out there don't even have like recommendation of what to buy. But for example, but in Avon tonight, you actually do have, we actually do build it, right? Based on the market and, and based on the data that we have of what's selling and what, you know, what the uh, customers want in terms of the profit margin or in terms of the, in terms of the base of turnover that they are, that they're aiming for. So we help them to actually manage and grow their business as well. And, and another one is obviously financing, right? As you mentioned, our financial inclusion is also very, very important for, for us. But the way that we do it is also quite different. So a lot of the fintechs out there actually would give money. You know, but for us, because it's to facilitate trade, we actually, it's better uh, called inventory financing. And we actually work with the wholesalers to underwrite these merchants. So it's um, really various ways that we do. But uh, all in all, you know, if you're a wholesaler or if you're a merchant, then you can basically just use the app and our platform to really manage and uh, grow your business through insights. Yeah. Wow, Wendy, that's like really fascinating. And I think I, I didn't realize that, you know, it... I want to know it's it's more than just sort of a I guess the Shopify yeah uh, you know for for the merchants and the wholesalers it's not actually, alone. yes it's it's yeah. really smart you're providing insights and analysis into what is actually going to move inventory you know what is going to sell more to their customers I think that's fascinating how do you do that like how are you collecting this data how do you get these insights from of of where customers of what things customers actually want to buy or what types of products will will move more quickly is that because you have so much of the market that you can see trends or like like how do you figure that out that's so cool okay so hopefully i don't spill too much <laughs> of, of company uh, yeah tell us the secret sauce <laughs> Uh, as, as my co-founder, you know, always share, always warned me. But basically, I'm really, I guess, you know, we have in our tonight, right, a culture of where the product teams actually go down into the field. And actually, the reason why we even went into this was because we wanted to adopt a different mindset, whereas a lot of, you know, credit underwriters or fintechs, B2B out there was still underwrite based on, I would say, credit history. Like they would tap into the, you know, like fintech data centers, or they would tap into banks, a data center, or, you know, you know, they would have to 
I don't know. I feel like it's a very backward way of, of, of underwriting. So for, for, for us, what we realized is that when we talk with suppliers and wholesalers, their recommendation was really good because they had a lot of this kind of like transaction data that's accumulated by the merchant and, you know, the consistency of that. So then I guess uh, that was the moment when we realized that, hey, you know what? We could actually underwrite in a much better way if we were to be able to get this transaction data. And so we talked to the wholesalers and the merchants and they were like, yeah, you know, it completely makes sense for my cash flow to be better. Mm-hmm. And it definitely, you know, the kind of systems that they currently have, if they have, is actually those that were built 10 years ago by anonymous vendors who they didn't even keep in touch with. So they were more than happy, except for the uh, onboarding process, yeah. Uh, but they were more than happy in theory to actually accept this. And so we then started rolling out kind of like a secondary uh, POS systems, order management systems, in which then we would be actually getting the data that would, you know, um, uh, that that we would need to really see how well these merchants and 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 these wholesalers are doing. And we would and we would even go beyond that, right? Uh, we would actually see what they are procuring. I, so I guess it's one way to actually see what is going at the door, but then it's also another check and balance to see what comes in the door. So I guess a combination of that and, and uniquely, right, uh, Amrita, you don't need to get a whole lot of the market to be able to understand what trends are really, um, in the market. So if you actually do manage to select the right wholesalers and the right kind of merchants, they would be the ones who set the price anyway. They would be the ones who set the market, uh, uh who make the market in a way. So by under, by just tapping into those select wholesalers and those merchants, we would then be able to understand, hey, what's actually selling in Bandung? What's actually selling in Jakarta? And, and then, you know, kind of then see the market follows. Yeah. So it's interesting actually to see that. Yes. Uh, the, obviously the more data, the better, but then it's actually even more, it's, it's, it's the relevant data that matters is, is what I've actually been able to, to learn from this experience. Got it. That's really cool. That's really cool. And so then I guess, and then that data is used, well, the relevant data is used to then make those uh, lending decisions or inventory financing decisions. Um, that's, that's so interesting. Um, and I guess how, how does it work? Like, I'm just trying to envision this. So Awanjana is not actually lending the money. It sounds like it's facilitating a, like a, the inventory financing between the wholesaler and the merchant. How does that work? What's How does Awanjana like actually make this happen? Sure. So basically, once you go in through the application process, right? you, uh, you as a merchant will then be able to um, use your smartphone. And then the way that it works is just like a credit card. So you go into the suppliers of the wholesaler stores, and then you would actually um, kind of like uh, transact as normal. And then they would uh, input, you know, your uh, transactions in our POS. Um, or if you've already ordered online, then they would actually process it. And by the time you were there, they would already have um, prepared it. And then there will be like a kind of other um, authentication that takes place. So there will be uh, once, you know, in the POS uh, of the suppliers that um, it would be inputted that, yes, you know, this transaction um, is uh, triggered. Then there will be an OTP that is sent to your smartphone as the, as the merchant. And then you just 
simply put in the OTP um, and then th the loan doc is basically signed. Then we will then assign uh, based on the uh, to the third party capital lender um, uh, based uh, on our discussions and based on the criteria and approvals. And then um, that uh, OTP is also as a signature uh, for the loan doc between the, the, the merchant and capital lender with us as facilitator. So yeah, so that's pretty much it. That's, uh, not so not cool. so much uh, to tell there, yeah. No, that's that's so cool. That's so cool. I think um, it's a really unique model. I mean, obviously, we we are seeing other players, you know, in the Indonesian market. Who's out there? Buku Buku Arung Buku yeah. Kas, which I think is called Lumo now. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. I they, yeah, I think they changed their name just recently. Oh, all right. Um, we see that that this model also in other markets. We see you know Grosari in the Philippines with Sari Sari shops, which are like Indonesian Warungs, exactly. and there's several more all over all over the region. You know, does a one tonight, I mean, do you think of yourselves as competing with these players or is it more like rising tides lift all ships, like the market's big enough for anyone? How do you, you know, think about the other players that are out there? Right. So for me, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound like too cliche, right? <laughs> but <laughs> but I feel like um, actually, you know, a lot of what the people in the market um, uh, do uh, does actually help us in a way to to really understand uh, to really also see which kind of experiments or bets work and which one doesn't. I do believe, right, at the end of the day, right, why we're doing this is that vision of of, of seeing this underserved uh, or or an, an even uh, unbanked market really grow, right? For for me, you know, if if they grow, at the end of the day, you know, um, what ha what what happens, right? So I guess you know, GDP increases. Hopefully, quality of life increases, you know, as per the economic uh, understanding. So, all in all, right? I mean, I do believe that we are all playing our parts. I can't say like five years or 10 years down the road whether we'll be the major player. I, I, I do believe and I hope uh, uh, that, that, we, that we are. The way that I see it, right? There are still so many, I would say, niche within niche. Mm -hmm. And so if you take just a look at the Indonesian, you know, kind of like banking system, they've been trying to get forever uh, out of like this 120 banks. Uh, they've been trying to simplify it to like just top 40. Even that is very, very hard. So and, and I guess that's in consumers, right? And, 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 you know, consumers typically have more standardized um, requirements or needs versus businesses. So I guess that also speaks into how it's still a very much niche. Sorry, the market is, is big enough and, and you're playing in niche. And so I think at the end of the day, there will be definitely kind of like one or two players per sector. That's big. And I, and I do believe our tonight will be one of them. But I think we, we actually very much benefited from seeing like how in the other sectors, the things play out. At this stage, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like the competition is still a healthy competition. It's not like it's going to kill the businesses or kill innovation or or, or anything like that. Good, good. Healthy, healthy competition is yeah. is great. Um, yeah. So maybe you know one last question here, mm -hmm. Wendy. I guess we've. Um, I guess I'm curious about your expansion plan, uh, right? We've talked a lot on this show about kind of two models that we see mm -hmm. in Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. uh, going broad versus going deep. And I come from the grab world, which has, you know, taken the broad strategy. You come from the Gojek world, which has gone very deep in Indonesia, where it's got 
you know, it's obviously a huge market. It makes up half of Southeast Asia anyway, um, and really has like home court advantage. Do you see like what does a one to nine think about expansion? Is it really like a deep uh, strategy? Like let's win the Indonesian market, or are there expansion plans across the region or elsewhere? Mm. So I guess you know what the way that I see it, right? In Southeast um, Asia, I guess at this stage, right, our GDP as a whole, as 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 in the nation, right, it's you know it's very. Um, unlike in the West or in the U.S., right? Whereas, you know, I think DoorDash is basically like GoFood or GrabFood and, and they just IPO'd, right? Um, uh, last year, if not mistaken, and they can make billion dollar businesses out of that alone, right? And in, in, in Southeast Asia, it's not the case. Um, that's not the case. So I guess if you take a step back and, you know, it does depend on how big you want to be, right? So if, if you want to be like really equal, um, to, to, you know, kind of like the NASDAQs, you know, uh, 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 companies, I, I do believe you need to go, to go, uh, uh, to go wide, even, even like, you know, like with Gojek, yeah, even though I'm not there anymore, but you know, with, even with your recent merger with Tokopedia, which is basically a completely different <laughs> e-commerce, right? right? I mean, like, just to be clear, yeah, they still have merchants, but I mean, it's a very different lah. Um, from from the current like driver ecosystem, mm-hmm. that's I think that's also another way of going wide, right? So I I, I do believe um, even in our tonight right now we have the lending uh, or sorry the embedded uh, financing uh, space, but also now we have the commerce part in play. So I so so I think right um, at the end of the day, it's really about making um, enough users and uh, a lot of users or really see our product as a must have. And kind of like figuring out then, okay, what are like the, 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 the businesses that needs to go along with that? Um, so I guess that's our approach. So our, our approach is first to be the holistic kind of like, um, platform for, for, for our merchants and our wholesalers. And then if the timing is right and hopefully, um, so, and the problem, um, appears elsewhere, then we would definitely be willing to expand and, you know, in fact, we're excited to expand um, outside of Indonesia as well. Got it. That's great. That's great. Um, so, Wendy, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Awanjani's sure. culture and um, particularly you being a woman on the founding team. Uh, I think that's quite rare. But, um, you know, in terms of culture, it's something I've heard, you know, you and some of the other founders talk about in other forums. Uh, what kind of culture are you building? And I guess maybe why does your team place so much emphasis on it? Yes. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, culture, you can just really go on and on, right? So I'm just trying to take my concise version, right? So I guess we go on a lot, a lot about culture because we are basically trying to build a product, a digital product that, you know, um, operates on the basis of agile, um, a lot of iterations in a market that's very traditional. Even in our core products, right? We have a product-led model and we also have a sales-led model, right? So like, you know, kind of like the um, fi- uh, the financing, embedded financing is more like a sales-led where, you know, you'll need a lot of trust, as I mentioned earlier, versus, you know, kind of like fast tribe or a model uh, tribe, which, you know, is is, uh, is more product-led driven because there's really, it's, 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 it's not so much, there doesn't need to be as much even though there is a, a, a trust building that is required, but once you get in there, 
like, you know, you just use the product versus like embedded financing, you know, you kind of like need to maintain regularly um, the relationship um, and et cetera. So I guess we put a lot of emphasis on culture because how do you combine those two worlds? How do you combine those two teams that have different ways of working? So the culture that we're trying to build, you know, in Awantunai, I guess, is a really um, a culture where it's, I would say, very unique in a way where it requires us to kind of let go of our previous backgrounds, uh, let go of our previous workplaces cultures. So it's 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 trying to, I guess, em uh, 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 emphasis on three things, right? So it emphasis on building trust because it's impossible to 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 build or to combine two different types of cultures without ever giving benefit of the doubt. And then, you know, a, a second is a culture of fast experimentation, because the truth is, you know, you can't, you, you can't say agile is always the best. And you can't say kind of like traditional or self-led is always going to be the best. We've really had to a lot of do experiments. You know, we, we've come in with uh, people that says, you know what, this will work because I know this market and doesn't work. Or we, we've come in like, you know what, this will work because we've done the, 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 the kind of like previous products, we've built previous products like this in the past, doesn't work. So experimentation, um, I guess, is key. And I guess the last and but not least is execution. One thing that still comes back, yeah, I guess, from the, the, the early startup days is that this is what I what what I understand. You can't take things for granted. Yes, in Gojek, I I, I felt like it was a very smooth ride, but in 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 Awantuna, you know, you 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 basically saw us pivoting so many times before we finally got it. So I guess the the third thing is like you know, regardless of how much money you have, how much funding you have, you just gotta move fast. Yeah. Um. So so that's the that's that that's the kind of culture that we're trying to build. And as a as 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 a woman, you know, um. Um, I guess, you know, there is a lot of, in Indonesian culture, right, there's a lot of perceptions that, you know, women should not be like that, right? It should be nurturing, you know, it should be um, safe, you know, but then, you know, in, 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 in Awantunai, you know, the culture that we're, we're really trying to build is that, you know, yes, we do have trust, but then if you basically don't experiment, if you're too scared to experiment if you don't speak up well then you know there's going to be a problem and 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 you know it's a it's it's, it's funny how you know sometimes i feel like if it's uh, male uh, founders or male people asking for the same kind of commitment uh, to the culture uh, has a different response right but then i think another aspect that's also very important is that um women does play such an important role in our customer base a lot of the merchants and wholesalers always have a woman COO. Wow. So it, 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 it's really funny how it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's really the woman who is, who is, is who, who is for running um, um, uh, the show on, on, on day to day and becoming the COO. So it's a very, very important part. I, I believe, you know, when I go down into the field to talk to this, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, woman COOs, because I think it's different um, compared to when, you know, men just came there right it's, it's it's very different i mean at least in indonesian space is uh, or southeast asian space um it's very different and and that's why i think it's really important that you have all diversity and uh which is not just for the sake of diversity 
that is actually for economic value. There's, there was a ton of insights that only the women CEOs know that we wouldn't have gotten if we didn't really focus on women values such as empathy or even just, you know, kind of like just chatting with them with no particular reason at all. There will be a lot of insights that we would have missed. Yeah, that's that's a really great point, Wendy. I yeah. think being able to connect to your customers who are women is super important. And I think, you know, there are tons of studies. McKinsey's has done plenty of studies on how actually having more diversity on your teams, particularly when your customer it reflects your customer base, mm-hmm. it actually leads to better economic outcomes. So you're right. It's not should, it's not something that should be like tokenized. Um, yeah. It actually has like real impact. It's something yeah. you know. I talk about this part of women at Grab all the time. <laughs> so yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's something something super important. Um, and I think it, it's also important, Wendy, that you are the chief product officer, uh, mm-hmm. which is you know when you think about. Well, one, you know, very few, there are very few women founders. Um, maybe just for some stats there, uh, 1.5% of fintechs globally are solely founded by women. Um, Asia does a bit better at a regional level. 7.7% of women are founders, but that's still like ridiculously low. Only 4% of women hold a chief, a chief technology or innovation officer role. So to me, like chief product officer kind of fits in that realm. Do you think, I don't know, how, how has being a woman like shaped your role and how the way that you approach being a chief product officer. Right. So for me, you know, the first thing that really kind of like being a woman that's really different because I have previously uh, a mentor who who was the CPO of Gojek as well, right? And I really uh, realized that I put a lot of focus on product discovery uh, way more than typically my my other male counterparts do. And I think that's because as women, I do believe we have more tasks to do. Like, you know, in in, in, in product language, uh, tasks to be done or jobs to be done traditionally from even since we were little so that we don't take these things for granted, you know, um, whereas, you know, kind of like um, men uh, simplifies because their role is also pretty simple. Um, um, in life, not no fun intended. But, um, you know, you know when, when you become like a, 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 a let's say you know a woman, you know you're you're also a career woman. You also become a mom, which is also kind of like the CEO of your household. You know, um, and then you know you also become kind of like the representative of the family in kind of social settings. Like for example, I'm the treasurer of my community group, uh, neighborhood community group. So there's so many times, right? So then when we go into um, uh, uh, what what I kind of um, realized is that I put a lot of our discovery, like the team really needs to be at least once uh, uh, um, uh, per week, uh, really uh, 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 in the field. And um, we would also just really look at product, despite, you know, all of the lingos out there of achieving metrics, etc., no, it's, it's really fundamentally, do you, ha, have you managed to change this user's behavior for what we believe is better? Right. So there's, I think there's still a lot of kind of like business outcomes, such as GMB or revenue being put into, um, product teams. And I kind of felt like it's needed in, 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 in a portion, but you know, that's not the full control. Of, of, of the product teams, the product teams needs to identify what are the behaviors um, that would actually lead to effective strategies in achieving that outcome. Mm-hmm. And 
when you talk about changing people's behavior, it's a lot of psychology um, involved, product discovery involved. And I think, you know, as a woman, then I guess we are just kind of like more attuned into 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 hearing uh, all of like the, uh, the 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 unsaid words. Um, um, we 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 bring a, a a feeling of comfort. I would I I, I would I would go um, as far as saying so. I think as a as a uh, my role in CPO at this stage of Awantunai is not to bring in you know kind of like the advanced or like you know technologies out there etc. I think at this stage of Awantunai, what we need is a product that really managed to change the user behavior in a market where traditionally they have been doing the same thing for tens of years. I think even there was a post written by Marty Kagan which year that basically he mentioned why the best product managers are women wow. is also because because of that uh because of the empathy and and the ability to actually see things from multiple angles because we have been kind of like asked to do that you know ever since um we were little and obviously um as adult as well yeah wow that's yeah. that's really great insight Mindy. um and it leads me to my next question um kind of outside of a one to nine i know that um women works is something um that you started in 2020 that is very close to your heart. So can you tell us more about that, how your work, uh, you know, I guess at Awantanai and before has influenced that and what the platform seeks to do? Yes. Yes. So actually, you know, um, it was pandemic and similarly like yours, right? You know, um, we were, I guess I was basically thinking of, wow, you know, there's suddenly, you know, like work from home uh, thing going on and a lot of hours um, uh, that were saved, thankfully, uh, uh, due to lack of traffic. And then, but at the same time, you know, I realized that a lot of my fellow woman friends were losing, losing jobs. But at the same time, my connections out there were actually still searching um, for, for, for jobs. And I think that, you know, uh, uh, both, I think Grab and Gojek um, did really well on this. I think they, I think even Grab made like this portal Right, which were, I think was really cool, listing out you know their teams that need help um, uh, to find jobs and etc. Which which you know was really helpful. But at this level for women, in which you know they have lost their jobs and they tend to not have the connections to find at the same time because of their jobs um, or or like the the requirements. You know, a lot of husbands or or family actually mentioned that this is a, maybe a good time for them to be at home. So a lot of them actually start thinking, how do I build small businesses? But they're not connected to founders, right? Which is very different. You know, you can't kind of like learn how to build a business without actually talking to founders. So then I guess uh, from in Women Works, as you mentioned, so initially we started off as a connection marketplace. It was a one-on-one mentoring in which, you know, women basically uh, who have goals can talk to people who uh, to women as well who have actually been through that same experience because the men experience of find a founding let's say a business or even getting a promotion is very different from a woman experience of of of, of getting both so yeah we started off as a one on mentoring and then um it was it was growing really well uh, within, um, I think, uh, one year, we got like 1,500, 1500 uh, completed uh, mentorship sessions. So then we started to realize, hey, this is actually really something that um, a lot of, of women um, are, 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 really, are really looking for. 
And then we then expanded into master classes. And then one of the feedbacks we often got, uh, get, it was like, Hey, can you actually help my company to actually also get on the same kind of like understanding that, Hey, this is actually for economic value. This is not for just diversity. And they would really like our help to kind of like, um, influence, uh, the mindsets of, 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 of you know, company leadership. And, and a lot of our clients have actually have been startups. So we started up recruit, um, uh, our uh, recruitment and talent, uh, training program, um, for, for, um, not only for women, but actually also for the men inside the companies to really understand, you know, like kind of like, um, gender biases that might actually be, be, be prevalent and et cetera. So, yeah. So that's what, so, um, so actually that's, um, an exciting, um, uh, 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 side venture I have as well. We've actually launched an app. It's both in iPhone and Android. So if you ever want to connect to, to women in Southeast Asia, right now it's still Indonesia, but some of, some of, um, our, um, uh, active users have actually been in Southeast Asia and even kind of like the Indonesian diaspora that's outside of Indonesia. So yeah, that's actually also a great, a great place to be. And we'd love to have you join us as well, Amrita. And I would yeah. love to. I just, I'm downloading the app right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's so exciting. Oh, yes. I didn't realize it was also outside of Indonesia. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm sitting in Singapore. So I would be, would love to join and recruit as many other women as I can to, to join as well. Oh, maybe, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I guess maybe my last question on this is, you know, mm-hmm. what do you think needs to happen in Indonesia, and I guess more broadly for Southeast Asia or Asia, um, for us to have more, you know, badass, connected, financially independent women leaders, or just women in general. Um, I think particularly in the fintech ecosystem, which is, you know, finance, which is very male dominated, and tech, which is also very male dominant. What needs to happen for, you know, this paradigm to change? Right. So, you know what, I'm really, this is really um, funny, right? Because I believe, right, we actually already have that power. You know, when, when you know, like, for example, like you were here, um, you know, you, you, you lead what driver uh, expansion, uh, lending expansion in Grab, and then you also have this podcast. And, you know, I think, um, unfortunately, we're part of a very few women that maybe think that way, who have actually realized, hey, I can make a difference, right? And, the COOs out there, um, the, 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 uh, the ones that I see in a small, medium enterprises, right? Um, you know, whenever I talk to them about growing their business, not operating their business, but growing their business, they will say, Hey, you know what? Talk to, you know, my husband, who is actually the, the, the founder. They don't realize that they, that without them, right? They would actually, the business would not actually be running, you know? And I don't know, right? I mean, I, I kind of feel like there needs to be a lot of, awareness uh, of, of, of women on the power that they have and a lot of media coverage as well to, to actually then really make women le- leaders not as exceptional. It's just normal because mm-hmm. to be honest, right, if you think about it, right, even at a very small level, which is like the family level, the woman, there's already many women who are leaders. And, and every time I talk to, you know, like women who have uh, taken a sabbatical from work and they were like really worried that, 
hey, you know, what would be, um, what would my, um, would I still be able to go into the workforce and kind of work and etc. And aside from market value, right, I think that worry is basically something that's in a way unfounded, right? Because even as a the housewife, you know, you're actually managing finances, you're managing decisions, um, important decisions, such as like, you know, where your kids go to school, education is a very important. So I mean, in, in a way, right, you're already kind of like the CEO. So I actually like to, to, um, to find uh, women leaders, because I definitely know, um, if they, especially if they have a family, then you know, they would already know how to balance things, how to focus on the most important things. But it's just their power. You know, that they need to, they need to understand their power. They need to be comfortable with demanding certain things, right? As long as the outcome is delivered. Why, why shouldn't you, let's say, get Fridays off? Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's still a lot of that mindset coming, going on. And I think it's our job. And I hope, you know, uh, in one of the ways for this podcast as well, you know, we're, we're fulfilling that and, and getting a lot more women to realize their, their own power. That's great, Wendy. Thank you so yeah. much. I think those are uh, really wise words. And I think, um, you know, we could probably end on that note. Um, sure. Wendy, this has been, this has been a really great conversation. Um, maybe last thing, where can people find out more information about Awantanai and Women Works if they're interested? Yes. So for our, uh, so we do have our websites. So for Awantanai, um, you can, um, you, even, or even Instagram accounts, you can just search Awantanai in Google, then you, and the first, um, thing that will pop up is our website, awantunai.co.id and, uh, sorry, awantunai.com. And then for womanworks, womanworks.io and, um, our Instagram as well is womanworks.id and, um, life at awantunai, I believe. So great. Excited to see you all there. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Wendy. This has been, this has been so great. Oh, thank you. It's very fun for me as well. I'm Rita. Great. So much. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello, my name is Todd Schweitzer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Brancas. Brancas is a Southeast Asia-based open finance technology company. And we do several things. We work with banks and other financial institutions with a set of software solutions to help them launch open APIs and API products. Um, in a matter of weeks. And we also provide uh, simplified APIs that enable any fintech or e-commerce or online business to instantly connect to financial services across Southeast Asia through a simple API. We operate in Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and soon Bangladesh. And I'm very excited to participate in the Green Room and forward to supporting the Green Room podcast and also the broader Apex Oxygen initiatives. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Green Room with Amrita Veer. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest updates. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would also really appreciate you leaving us five stars and a review. And if you know anyone who would be a great guest or have any feedback, reach out to us at greenroomfintech at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Catch you later.